Hey, grab your Bible. We're going to get into our study for the day. And we're talking about King David. We started our series last week talking about the boy David. Now we're going to talk about King David. And I'm going to summarize the story for you a little bit. Again, comment, like, share, follow, subscribe. Share this link with a friend. You can also connect with me on my social media um, networks here. Facebook.com, Pastor Wayne H. YouTube.com, Pastor Wayne H. Instagram.com, Pastor Wayne H. LinkedIn.com slash in slash Pastor Wayne H. And also my my Twitter, which is not on there, is also Pastor Wayne H. Are you sensing a theme with Pastor Wayne H.? That's how you connect with me online. So let's get into God's word here today. Turn with me in your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter um, 11. And that is going to be sort of our key text. I'm going to give you a quick um, review from what happened last week to where we're going to be studying today. And you'll remember that King David was being chased by King Saul. And then uh, King Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. David did not delight in their death, but he actually mourned their death. And God put him into power because he was a man after God's own heart. And give me a thumbs up if you want to be a man, if you want to be a woman, that's after God's own heart. We all want to be people that are God chasers. The kind of people that God can connect with and that God can um, talk to. And if he convicts us of sin, we're quick to say we're sorry. We're quick to make an amends. We're quick to let his light shine through us and not let the darkness overtake us. We talked about King David last week. King Saul and Jonathan had died, and now David had been anointed to be king. And there's lots of things that happened before the, one, the passage that we're going to study today, so I'm just going to give you a quick overview. But when he hears about Saul and Jonathan's death, he takes the throne in Hebron. And, of course, Jerusalem was not yet uh, the capital of Israel at this time. And David is basically ruling the northern tribes of Israel. And then there's kind of a vying, a coup for the throne, some inner fighting for him to gain the entire kingdom. And Abner and Joab, they send fighting forces and there's sort of a bout and a contest. And eventually David wins over all the other tribes. And um, they come to the place where they sneak into the city of the Jeb Jebusites, the Jebus sites. And Je Jebus is the city of Jerusalem. And so they move the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem. And God makes a covenant to David. He makes a, a promise to David. He says, go tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. You are the one. Um, he's, are you the one for to build a house for me to live in? So David's saying, when he gets to Jerusalem, he gets this beautiful palace. He gets all the stuff that the king of Jebus had. And he's ruling all the 12 tribes of Israel. And he goes, this isn't right. I'm living in a palace. And yet God's house is in a tent and he wants to build it, and yet uh, God says, no, not for you to build. Uh, your, your, one of your sons will build it. And then God gives David many more victories. And um, he shows his kindness to one of Saul's sons named Mephibosheth. And then he defeats the Ammonites, and he gives them peace basically on almost all of his sides. And David is a conquering king. He's a, he's a military king. He's a king that can go out in battle and win battles, but he kind of starts to rest on his laurels. He starts to, starts to presume upon the grace of God because he's lived an amazingly charmed life 
from the time that Samuel anointed him king, kills a giant, becomes a member of the king's court, starts winning, 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 winning. And he's, he's not tired of winning and starts to just presume that he's always going to win, that he can do anything he wants. And that's where we're going to pick it up in um, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I've titled this message, Presuming Upon the Grace of God. Now I have a funny story before we start. I have my car keys right here. Some of you guys have seen my car keys. I, I drive an old Chevy Suburban. It's an O2 Chevy Suburban, and it has sort of a unique quality to it. This ignition key, I can turn it and drive the car, and when I need to go check the mail, I don't have to turn the car off. I can actually pull the keys out of the ignition, and the car keeps running <laughs> so that I can check the mailbox key, open the mail, and then put the key back in the ignition, drive back to the house, turn it off, go in. On one particular day, I think it was on a Saturday, I went and checked the mail, pulled my keys out of the ignition, left the car running, checked the mailbox, grabbed the mail. Of course, you know how you do with the mail. You're, you're going through them all. And I had left the keys in the mailbox, looking at it all. You'd see the mail, you know, put it in my pocket, get on the dashboard. I feel like I'm forgetting something. I don't know what it is. Then I close the door, drive the car back to the house, and I go to turn the ignition off, but there's no key in the ignition. Some of you are already ahead of me. You know what I did. I left the key in the mailbox. I forgot to grab the key and put it back in the ignition. So my, my mailbox key and all my other keys were hanging in the mailbox door. But I, I had driven home without, <laughs> without the keys in the car. So, of course, you know what I had to do. I had to put it back in drive, go back, get the keys, and come home and turn off the car. I was presuming that the keys were in there. And you know what they say about when you assume, Right? You, you make a fool out of you and me. <laughs> and that's not exact, the exact phrase, but you know what I'm saying. When we make assumptions, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. David was making an assumption upon the grace of God. And we have to be careful about making, about making presumptions about the grace of God. Even though we know that we are saved by grace through faith, this not of ourselves, it's not of works, so no one can boast. We don't just presume that we can act however we want. We can talk however we want. We can make whatever bad choices we want. We can sin in whatever way we want and then just presume that God is going to forgive us. In fact, that might show that we don't have a heart of contrition and of surrender. Maybe we've not even been adopted by God yet. Maybe we're not even ch children of God because we still think that we can do whatever we want. We haven't really made him the Lord of all in our lives. We are presuming upon the grace of God. That's a very dangerous place to be. And this is where we see David is in 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the first few verses and then kind of comment a little bit and fast forward into the story. It says, verse one of 2 Samuel 11, in the spring of the year, when the kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, after his as after his afternoon nap, which hopefully I'll get one of those today, David got out of his bed and he's walking on the roof of his palace and he looked out over the city and he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath and he sent someone to find out who she was and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite and then David sent messengers to get her and she came to the palace and he slept with her. 
and he had just completed the purification. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period, and then she returned home. And later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message: "I'm pregnant." Uh oh. So fast forward in the story, David wants to cover up the fact that he got another man's wife pregnant. Uriah the Hittite, of course, living in the neighborhood of the palace, he sends him out into battle. And he tells one of his commanders to, to make sure and put Uriah in a more dangerous place in the battle so that he'll, he will die in battle. Of course, it, this, this comes after he tried to get him drunk, tried to get him to sleep with his wife. He wouldn't do it. He was a man of honor. So he tries to cover up his sin. He can't cover up his sin. And the, the worst thing is, rather than lying or even telling Uriah that, hey, I slept with your wife, he has him murdered. So to cover up one sin, he, he sins in an even greater way. And David is presuming upon the grace of God. He presumes that, you know, God will just forgive it. God loves me. It'll be fine. Um, and it's not fine. It isn't okay with God. What David has done is a terrible sin. It's a stain on the character of Israel. It's a stain on the kingship of Israel. And so God sends the prophet Nathan to confront David. And this is 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. So the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. Nathan says, There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle, and the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. And it ate the man's own plate and drank from his cup, and he cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. And one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and he killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one that he stole for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. I anointed you, the king of Israel, and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you the master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not meant enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, time on your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. That is why the Lord says, because of what you have done, I will... I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to other men before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of Israel. And of course, this actually does happen when Absalom goes to try to take his father's throne. Now, a lot of people, when they're confronted with their guilt and with their sin, uh, they deny it. They say, no, no, that wasn't me. Or, no, that's not a sin for me. Or they justify it. Or they deny it. Can, can I tell you, David was a man after God's own heart. When he was confronted with his sin, he didn't deny it. He didn't justify it. He knew that he was caught red-handed. And there was no hiding from God. So David responds here in verse 13 of 2 Samuel chapter 12. And David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, Yes, 
but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord, by doing this, your child will die. And after this, after Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David, Uriah's wife. And David begged God to spare the child. And he went without food all day and all night on the bare ground. And the elders of his house, of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. And then on the seventh day, the child died. And David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill. They said, what drastic thing will he do when we tell him that the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. He said, is the child dead? He asked, yes, they replied, he is dead. And then David got up from the ground. He washed himself. He put on the, the lotions and changed his clothes and went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. And after that, he returned to the palace and was served food and, and he ate. And his advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was still alive, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. And then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and slept with her, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and David named him Solomon. And the Lord loved the child and sent word through Nathan the prophet that they should name him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord, as the Lord had commanded. Presuming upon the grace of God. It's one of the most dangerous things that we believers can do. We know that God loves us, and it's good that we know that. It's good that we're secure in the love that he has given to us. And yet to presume upon his grace, it's like what one of the apostles said is to trample in the blood of Christ. We have to be very careful about presuming upon the grace of God. And I think in many ways, America has presumed upon the grace of God. In the book of Hebrews, this is probably... Jesus' blood brother, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem in the early days of the church, he says in Hebrews chapter 2, So we must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through the angels has always stood firm. Every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think that we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and miraculous miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. See, we can't reject God's salvation and just assume everything's going to be fine. That's not how any of this works. And we just had this event yesterday in Washington, D.C. and nationwide where pastors and Christian leaders and followers of Christ from all over the country participated in this event called The Return. The return. The whole idea is, return. God said, return to me and I will return to you. Wash your hands. In other words, repent if my people who are called by my name. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. But there's no promise for those who won't repent. There's no promise for those of us who will turn from their wicked ways. 
There's no promise for those of us who will not seek his face. If each one of us turn to our own way, like, like Isaiah said, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned aside to his own way. There's no promise of God's grace without repentance. There's no revival without repentance. And I think we're in a dangerous time in our country. We are at a crossroads having to decide, are we going to choose God and his way and holiness? Are we going to return to him, turn from our wicked ways, seek his face? Are we going to ask him to heal our land? And if not, then we should not be surprised at the consequences that may come. We look in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. It's such a powerful, powerful verse speaking again about presuming upon the grace of God. He says this, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide a perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. And if they could have provided a perfect cleansing, then the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers uh, would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. See, when we hear the word of God, when we spend time in the presence of God, when we know that we've done wrong and yet we refuse to repent, then all we, all we have is a faithful expectation of, of wrath, of judgment. But if we turn to Christ and we say, God, I was wrong, I've sinned, please forgive me, then there's hope that he will turn, he will hear, and he will forgive. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 39, as I said, it says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue on sinning after we, re we have received the knowledge of the truth, truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment would be for those who have trampled on the Son of God, who have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy, as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit, who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. God says, the Lord will judge his own people. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you, were, you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we all, we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. You know, if you really want to know how all this works, you're not going to be able to perform yourself into heaven. You're not going to be, ever be good enough for God. 
But part of the discipleship process is saying, God, I'm going to let you call the shots from here on out. I'm going to remind myself and, and remind you every day that you're the Lord and not me. I'm going to let you begin to change my heart, to change my mind, to wash me and make me more like Christ. And when I know that I'm sinning, that I'll turn from that sin. If I have sinned, I'll ask for forgiveness. If I've wronged someone, I'll make an amends and I'll make those things right. It's not an easy life to live, but it's a good life, and it's a godly life. It's a holy life. King David knew this secret, and we can see his actual prayer that he prayed after he was caught in the act of adultery followed by murder in Psalm 51. And I want to finish my message here talking about that, and then we're going to have about a seven minute of prayer and meditation, journaling time, and just asking the Lord what he would have us do about making things right that maybe we have done wrong. Here's what he says in Psalm 51 for the choir director, a Psalm of David regarding the time that Nathan the prophet came to him after David had, had committed adultery with Bathsheba and murder, by the way. He says, verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. And do not you do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. And then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. You know, maybe you've been living far from God. Maybe you know for sure. That if you died today, you wouldn't be right with God. You wouldn't be spending eternity with Him in heaven. Can I tell you? That's not God's plan for you. God created you to be with Him. You're made in the image of God, and He wants to adopt you as His son and His daughter. But your sin, it separates you from God. My sin separates me from God. And sins can't be paid for by doing good deeds. I can't earn my way. I can't do enough good things to cancel out the bad things. That's not how the gospel works. Paying the price for my sin, Jesus died and he rose again. So that everyone, so anyone 
who put their trust in Christ can have life eternal. And it begins the moment you say yes and receive him. And that starts the discipleship process where we start to say, okay, God, I give you my heart. I give you my mind. I want you to search me and know me inside and out. Show me where I've been wrong and help me to begin to change and to become more like you, to make things right if I've done something wrong. And so if you've never done that, I'm going to do prayer and reflection here in a minute, but if you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you did a long time ago, but you have not been living with him as the Lord of your life, would you just pray this simple prayer? Just pray it right now after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that God raised you from the dead. Please come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Now that starts a journey for us as believers, where we start to walk with God every day. We stop living for ourselves, but we start living for God. And we start living to make him known to the people around us, to start demonstrating his love and his life to the people that God loves and the people that Jesus died for. And so I'm going to take a little bit of time here today and I want to do some worship with you. And I believe that God's going to just meet us this, this morning as we do. And I'm, I'm just going to set a timer for seven minutes. And if you could think of maybe some areas of your life that have not been completely submitted to God, maybe it's in the area of your mind. You've allowed your fantasy life uh, to get rage out of control. Or maybe in this time of social upheaval, you've just been so filled with venom and hatred and anger that you've murdered people in your heart. Maybe there's areas that have that just have not been submitted to the Lord, and you say, no, God, I'll take that. But you need to submit to God in every area of your life. So I'm going to just worship a little bit, and then maybe sing, and then we'll close it out and finish. But I think it's important for us to just spend a few minutes here confessing our sin to the Lord.
chance just to seek the Lord a little bit. If there's someone you're supposed to call, I encourage you to call them today. If there's someone you're supposed to maybe just go to in person and say, look, I, I've been wrong. I've said some wrong things. Would you please forgive me? If you've stolen something, return it. 
if you've lied about something, tell the truth. Make an amends. And you know what that'll do? It'll take the guilt off of you and it'll also bless the other person as they see that God is getting glory out of your life. As you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, in due time, He'll lift you up. So I want to sing this one of my favorite songs from this exact psalm from Psalm 51. Created me a clean heart and sing it with me. Many of you know it. Created me a clean heart. Oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. me not away from your presence, O oh Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hansen. You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember... God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life.